All right, Zig coming in on the top today on the show for the third time, which is insane to say. We have Kevin Eastman. This is such an honor. Every time, like, this guy can't be any nicer. He's such a cool guy. Um, and I, it's, uh, it's so cool. It's so surreal that I get to say that for the third time, Kevin Eastman is on the show. It's so cool. I held it together a little better because uh, last time I was with Cody. Um, and this time, I, w- I was first up on, on, the, on the press list, which, uh, which means you have to be super punctual. So I, I wrote everything out. I didn't, I didn't, I tried not to, uh, not to be rude to anyone who's following after me, you know. Um, it's like being the opener. You don't go past your, your 45 minutes, you know. Um, so uh, this one may feel a little different than the other ones because the other two, we were on the very end. We were the last ones because all the podcast guys put them on last. Um, and I can't thank Kevin Eastman's team enough. They're always super, super con- polite and considerate and easiest to work with and very thoughtful. So shout outs to Courtney and Jasmine. Okay, if you made it this far and you're like, well, who is Kevin Eastman? Kevin Eastman is co-creator of... Comic book author and artist and DIY comic icon, really Kevin Eastman. So cool! It doesn't get it doesn't get old. It's so cool and such an honor still. Um, okay, Kevin's got a lot going on right now. The last Ronin has wrapped up. The fifth issue is out now, and it's capping maybe one of the largest Turtles comic events yet. No spoilers during this conversation, so you can listen through if you haven't read. Um, we recommend, and by we, I mean my friend Coda and I, so if you're new to the show, I'm your humble host, my name is Dave, I play in a band called C-Level, Letter C-Dash, with my best friend Coda Kroos and Pat Boland, and we are three comic-obsessed musicians, so we want to recommend, if you're, if you're going to pick up The Last Ron in issue five, you go to, uh, Comics Are Go, and if you, uh, use their online, um, Facebook Live, auctions you might recognize our our our, our sounds from their themes uh, we recorded the comics are go theme at the beginning and at the end the punk in this like folk song and uh ground zero so if you're in ohio and you want to support local comic stops that's where we recommend um yeah all right friends before we get to the, my conversation with kevin if you can like rate review subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms. It really helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And um, if you haven't heard the first two conversations, I highly recommend diving into both. The first one was one of the most mind-blowing experiences for me. I spent hours in front of my computer like I'm doing now waiting to talk with Kevin, and like it, it's one of the most inspiring conversations I've had. So here we go. Returning for the third time, Kevin Eastman. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Thanks so much for having me again. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, all right. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure, man. Well, let's jump into it. How was, uh, how was the Green Day concert? <laughs> Dude, it was awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, after certainly, you know, um, being a lifelong fan of uh, – Longtime fan of uh, Green Day for sure, um, and uh, not having uh, had the opportunity to be at a live concert, live music event for um, uh, quite a long time, just added it, uh, you know, put it 
right at the top of the list of one of my favorite shows ever. So uh, it was great. And certainly Weezer was, was kick-ass. And uh, um, yeah, the whole thing was just was just an absolute treat. It was, it was great. Beautiful. It's it, there's I don't know getting around people again and just it's it's like new. I don't know. It's like it's like doing it for the first time again. It's like real fresh and exciting. So that I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, totally, hundred percent. Thank you. I wanted to ask what what's the magic of the blue pen? The 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 blue pen is like the blue pencil that I use yeah. to, to work with or to, yeah. Um, um, well, the, what's interesting is, is it was something that was, um, originally used as, uh, just kind of a, a guide for layout. Like if you were doing lay, you know, lettering, or if you're doing just like a blue pencil, especially non-reproduction blue pencil, you could sort of block in, um, uh, the space, um, uh, the illustration you wanted to do perspectives and all that stuff without having to erase it. And then when you go back in and pencil it and then ink on top of it, when you would then photograph it for reproduction, you wouldn't see the, see the blue, um, in it, but then that evolved, um, into, so I used, started using it, um, as a guide to like when I would do a layout for cover, um, it was just a, a way that I could move really quickly through a design where, um, I would do the basic layout structure. Then I would go straight in and ink with a Sharpie. And it usually was submission for uh, approval to uh, somebody that wanted me to do a cover or, or come up with designs or, or, or even do layouts for pages. Um, and so then uh, um, uh, I would do that. And then as an additional guide to sort of give it more impact, I started adding shading and toning and stuff like that. So less black and white, less black, more shading and it sort of helped round out and sort of give you the perspective and then it would serve another purpose as a, as a general guide to uh, tones or shadowing and lighting for um, a colors. So I, when I sent the finished black and white piece on, I would send the, you know, the blue line pencil as well to say, you know, this is what, you know, was my lighting source and this is what I'm thinking of kind of shadowing it. So that kind of helps set the mood. Um, and it was just, and it's fun to do. It makes it feel like a more complete, illustration to me so i've done it for quite a long time yeah i've noticed going through the director's cuts and some of the uh, uh mirage compounded uh, or compiled books that a lot of the sketches have that blue and that that makes sense so you can see every step of the way almost and really kind of guide it and direct it like that that's really cool yeah. um so moving... yeah yeah now that was it yeah yeah okay yeah, exactly nice um uh, one one uh, one thing I kind of wanted to get into with you today is like uh, the you and Peter and like it, it seems like all oh, this was such like a lightning in a bottle thing, and you guys have always given back, and it's oh that's I find that super inspiring like um, just even with with uh, Tundra and and and, um, and what Peter did with his nonprofit, but one one particular event I found real fascinating and I kind of wanted to pick your brain about it. Was when you did the first, uh, I think Donatello Donatello's solo story, where uh, he meets Jack Kirby, and that issue was mm-hmm. all going to go towards to help Jack Kirby pay with like one. That's such a cool was, opportunity to do. But um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. You're right. No, it's um, no. I loved um, you know certainly what I was doing with Tundra was was one way to pursue you know. Um, giving back to the community that gave us so much. Peter's Zurich Foundation, which was uh, 
a great way to fund self-publishing. You know, people would submit stuff and then he would fund the full completion of the work plus printing kind of thing. Kind of was an early version of um, um, patronism as far as uh, like a Kickstarter format. Um, you know, thinking that we, you know, we going back to where, you know, we borrowed twelve, thirteen hundred dollars from my uncle back in the day to print the very first issue of Turtles. But uh, so, you know, philanthropy has been, you know, something that's uh, we've always had a part of our life. And then uh, going specifically to the Donatello one shot, there was a time period and it was actually um, um, Jack Kirby um, um, for the longest time was not given full credit where credit's due for the work that he contributed to Marvel. And there was a number of reasons for that. Um, you know, one, um, there were some trademark concerns of the corporations that owned or the corporation that owned Marvel and all things Marvel. Um, uh, the early work that he did um, uh, at that time period, all artists worked under a uh, work for hire scenario. So they, you know, and Kirby himself said, you know, we knew what we were signing. We didn't like it um per se but we knew we were working for a company that whatever we created the company would own it but you know at the same time it went way past a time period where you know credit should be given where credit is due and you know there were you know um a lot of people um that felt that other people took credit for other people's work i mean you know bob kane's um story with bill finger is is fairly notorious in, in many ways that he took credit for a lot of things that Bill Finger and other people contributed to Batman um, without giving credit to a credit dude. So there was a fight to get not only Jack's artwork back, but to have him get more um, official recognition um, for the work that he contributed to the Marvel universe. And so there was kind of a, um, it wasn't kind of, there was a, there was a big legal battle going on and the, uh, the comics journal was one of the, um, magazines, uh, news, um, you know, like I call it like a Newsweek or Time uh, for Comics um, was one of the um, people out there really pushing and, and commenting um, um, directly to the creative community, the comic book creative community, and same community to, that Jack um, should get his artwork back because even back in those days, Marvel kept all the artwork um, that, the, that, the, that they, they created. And I think Kirby from Marvel alone, um, and I'm just from what I remember, he did at least um, uh, he did uh, he did somewhere around the neighborhood of, of eight thousand pages um, plus for for just Marvel over his lifetime of doing stuff for them and creating stories and, and you know rewrote a lot of that stuff. So we offered we reached out to Jack and there was a lot of people that were doing fundraisers and we reached out to his family and said that we wanted to do this tribute to him. Can we? And we asked his permission, and then Peter um, came up with the. His, Peter's came up with the story, which I thought was just absolutely brilliant. Um, um, uh, what it became, but then we asked if we could contribute all the profits from the sales of uh, this issue to uh, his legal fight, his to, 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 to contribute to his legal costs, and um, he gave us permission to do it, but he um, refused to take the the money, and he just said, "No, you you kids are." You kids are great. We really appreciate. He really appreciated how much he meant to so many people. That how you know because he, you know, he was our biggest inspiration. You know, that was yeah. my childhood dream was to follow in the footsteps and grow up to be as much like Jack Kirby as I could. Um, but uh, no, that was a that was a great issue, and he was a great you know man, obviously, and, and done. You know, he's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today is 
because of you know, his his inspiration. So, um, but yeah, that was that was it. He he ultimately said no to the to the funds, but we we um, so we made other donations from it in his name to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund and other you know comic book based things. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, that like when I read that story, like because I I remember reading like a an, an adaption of that of that story, like that w- it wasn't a comic when I first read it. It was like a, it was like a, a kids' book version of it, and that story always fascinated me. So learning that that was your chance to give back to your hero was like that's so cool. That's the most like DIY like community building thing ever, and like it's even cooler that he said no. He, like I, I just think that that makes his character so like not not no to the story, but like no use it. You don't 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 give me the money. Thanks for the the, the recognition. Like that's so beautiful. And then if <laughs> that doesn't keep well, you going, you know. no, you you're right, and that's and that's uh, you know that's the kind of guy he was. He's uh, you know um, he's he is all that and more. He was a legend, um, and and will always be so. So, but yeah, that was uh, uh, it was awesome. The whole experience was was something. Very cool, very cool. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of so on the idea, like I remember reading that story initially from like this book, like adaptation of it. And one thing I kind of wanted to ask you about was like you you've been doing with the uh, the Kevin Eastman Studios, like you do this like uh, memorabilia auction every month. And I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. what's the like most like bizarre and entertaining thing you found going through that because this is like you're cleaning out the studio right and like that's that's where all this stuff is coming from years of like memorabilia that you've collected yes yep yeah there was um so much of it is um because i you know in in so many aspects of my of my life i'm i'm a complete and utter pack rat and that um i mean i still have you know i'm, I'm actually staring at them now i've still got comic books and stuff from um you know, when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, yeah. um, all the way through and, and, and different things I've collected and toys and stuff. And then when it came to the turtles, there was, um, you know, certainly a time period when it was early on in the turtles, um, evolution as an entertainment property that, you know, Peter and I were just, you know, so excited with the different things that were going that we'd, uh, would always make sure that we, we tried to keep at least one of every single item um, that was produced, um, certainly in the early days. But then oftentimes, you know, when would, you know, um, companies produce turtle items, they would send a case of this or a case of that or a big box of this. It would divide it up between each, uh, each other and then send some, give some to friends and family and some other guys in the studio. And, and so what I would do is I'd end up taking, you know, taking, you know, uh, multiple copies of this, that, and the other thing and putting them into boxes for long-term storage. And, uh, um, and and fast forward to exactly what you said is that, you know, um, over the years as we sort of been refining that and, and reducing, um, you know, the amount of stuff um, we have, we were, would take it back to say if I had 10, 10 of one particular item, I'd keep one <laughs> and then would take the other nine and put them up on the, uh, on the auction site um, uh, kind of thing. So, yeah, that's where so much of that and and then, you know, even recently, um, I found, um, <laughs> like a small stack of, um, door hangers where it says, you know, <laughs> no entry without pizza kind of thing. Um, which was just, just, you know, really funny. I found little backing boards to, 
some of the uh, there was a company called Dark Horse that made these little lead based miniature figures for the role playing games back in the day. And uh, so it was, they would create these backing boards that then they would, you know, put the product in and then seal it up and ship it off to hobby stores and things. And so I just found some, some plain backing boards without um, uh, even the turtle stuck to them. That was had, we, we designed it specifically for them. We, Pete and I drew a turtle uh, and I painted it and that became the printed backing board. Um, but it's always a treat to find, to go through these boxes and find, you know, um, flat cereal boxes that, yeah. um, from the, you know, that, you know, <laughs> that sugar-free turtle cereal we did. Ha, 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 ha. Um, no. Um, so, no, I, I, I love those treasures. And I'm, and I'm always, you know, surprised to remember what I forgot. Um, like, oh, God, I remember this. This, oh, holy smokes. <laughs> um, so, um, but, but, but what's fun. But this still, I know it sounds incredible, but it's, you know, after all these years there's still boxes of stuff I'm going through and finding that kind of stuff. So there will be more showing up on the site. That's awesome. So, the one that blew me away the last time I saw it was the, the, the vanilla pies that were green <laughs> that you've recently posted. <laughs> like, oh uh, God. Yeah. Those are, <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean, I've got a, I've got a serious sweet tooth, but I remember that those were, those were, uh, those were a little funky, um, but <laughs> I've talked to I've talked to different fans over the years, and I'd mentioned that, and I said, "Oh, I thought that was a little funky." And a couple of fans were like, oh, "I loved them. I thought they were great." And I'm like, "Well, you know, <laughs> you. Uh, yeah. I mean, they definitely look sweet. I feel like I feel like if I was younger, that would definitely be the I would definitely have no problem with it. <laughs> now it's kind of like ah, it's coated in sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on a more serious question, um, I read that April O'Neil was based off a real person. Is this true? In, in part, yeah, and okay. and it was um, mainly in, in mainly in name. Um, uh, it was a, a a person that I had dated uh, in high school back in the day, and her name was April. And and then when um, um, uh, Pete and I were coming up with um, in the second issue, we wanted to add a kind of a strong female character that we liked, um, uh, that we, we enjoyed in pop culture, you know, things like, you know, Lieutenant Ripley or Sarah Connor or those kind of things. We wanted someone that would be a kind of a, uh, surrogate, a sister like figure to the turtles. Um, but a strong minded and, and bring in, um, and she was originally uh, a scientist, which we, which was one of the elements that we brought back in the IDW, um, in the IDW series. Um, but so it was, it was the first version. She was kind of, um, uh, a mixture of, um, kind of an Asian American, maybe with some African American in there kind of a, as a, as a mix of, you know, a, a, a melting pot of cultures because, right. you know, it's our universe, um, and, uh, loved it. And then, and, and she evolved in many different iterations, um, over the years but it was uh so the first name april was inspired by this um uh, young lady i knew um who's unfortunately since passed away and uh um um and uh and then o'neill i was you know and i remember pete and i talked about this once um where um the o'neill came from and it was like you know, the, we we thought immediately there was a um, a really great writer editor um, that worked for both Marvel and DC, 
uh, named Denny O'Neill. And we were thinking like, maybe it was inspired by Denny because we were a big fan of his work or it was just one of those funny sort of Irish names that, you know, I don't know. It was like, Hey, I'm Flannery O'Neill. I don't know. It just, it just seemed April O'Neill just seemed to work. And, uh, and, uh, you know, when you're working, you know, when that idea like that comes and you just sort of blurt it out and write it down and that's it, it's carved in stone or it's printed. Um, and then you don't think about it again until, you know, uh, years later, a question like this, like, well, where did, where the heck did that come from? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but that's, that's, so that's true. So, uh, there was a person in my life I knew named April and that was part of the inspiration. Got it. Um, and so kind of like with that whole process of like finding a, a like a, a partner like Pete to work with and balance out and like take an idea that's from nowhere and kind of make it into a, a person that evolves into who they are now, at least character demi- dynamic wise. Um, with like, I, and this may be a bigger question. I don't know if it's, but like working like Mirage eventually became a team because it had to, which is amazing because it grew and like, but going through that, what are some key elements from the Mirage days as a team that that were like important into bringing into the IDW days? Like I, from what I understand, IDW brought you on, so like there were some other other people kind of working on it already. But a team dynamic to make make a make a a story like the Last Ronin is so important to have that like um, withstand like all these like delays and like all these like th- obstacles that overcome like what are some like uh, um key elements that make make a, a a team like that work well it's a it's a great question and it's, it's an interesting concept um you know uh, uh, in part that you know we've we've ourselves learned a lot more about um um as we grew and 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 the business grew and we added more people to the team, but the basic concept that you know we knew um, both Peter and I as uh, um, fans of comic books and, and wanting to do that as a career that we knew that when you read the credits in a comic book that there were multiple people involved in bringing um, uh, a story to life, um, and certainly in part because of the amount of work um, if you're doing um, putting together a monthly comic. So, for example, you'd have you know a you have the publisher, then you have a, a, the overall editor, which might be like a Stanley type of character. Then you would have a writer that would actually write the story. Um, and then um, uh, you'd have, oftentimes, you'd have a, a separate penciler who would then pencil it and a separate inker who would uh, would ink it. And then a separate, uh, another person would be a colorist. And then you'd have a letterer. And it created sort of, again, because the time, you know, if you were doing, um, say, a 22-page, 24-page story, which comics were back in the early days, um, Silver Age, um, if you will, and even before, as a monthly comic, that's, you know, if you're putting out one a month, it's it's um, almost it's, it's almost like a page a day <laughs> that you have to complete. And the only way to do it is by having a whole team of people that you can sort of roll it over like a production line. You know, so as the penciler finishes a page, say on day one, he's handing it to the to the letterer slash and, and, and then the inker on day two. And then, you know, so the process continues. It's almost like, you know, um, almost factory like, um, but, you know, and a creative factory. And this was sort of based on um, systems that were built uh, like when Jack Kirby came up with uh, um, Captain America with Joe Simon, they had their, you know, their their. Uh, you know the Kirby, uh, the Kirby uh, 
Simon Studio, um, which they had um, besides themselves as creative directors and, and writing and drawing and stuff. They had other artists that would do lettering, that would do um, inking, and that would do backgrounds and do stuff so they could put out, um, you know, some newspaper daily strips or comic books or fulfill, you know, three or four different comic books a month, sort of like a, as a creative house or creative factory, much like you might imagine a man, an animation company right now uh, these days or even back in those days that you would have small boutique and sometimes larger animation studios that would um, uh, um, have a whole team of people because um, everything was hand-drawn back in those days. So that concept um, was established. So it was not new to us, um, the concept of having a team. And so when Pete and I started working together, it was, um, we thought it was cool already that we both wrote and we both drew. We did pencil and ink and, and I ended up, you know, doing the lettering. So we were had kind of had our own mini team, which we did everything. We did the editing, the writing, the um, lettering, <laughs> you name it, we did it all. And then as the business grew and um, managing the business um, took more and more time, it, it created, the, you know, something's got to give. So um, um, you end up with less time drawing than you'd like to because you need to be on top of your business issues. And so bringing in other artists to help with um, not only um, uh, writing and writing chores for a number of different titles, Turtles, Tales of the Turtles, the Archie comic was packaged by Mirage. Um, then we had uh, the whole element of licensing um, art, which was when somebody would license a turtle image for, say, whoopie pies or those, <laughs> yeah. you know, those green pies. Um, a lot of times that they would need package art done to a certain size and a certain design to a certain specification and so we offered up you know our studio that we could provide you for a fee obviously for to, to do those art exactly do you need and it would come pre-approved because otherwise they would have to go find a freelance artist create the illustration then send it to us for approval and so we sort of took a step out of there so we did a lot of that stuff in-house which streamlined it and then made more money for the artist instead of them losing out to another freelancer it was, they were still freelancing but within our company um and we were able to give them you know uh, different benefits and put them on um, kind of a payroll thing so they were doing a lot of work in a, in a better environment where the work was steady and, and the work needed to be done so um that sort of bled over um to you know a, a more traditional system with idw as a traditional more traditional comic company like you know dark horse or marvel and dc still exists today and boom and and things is that there's um, a variety of you know one creator that writes and draws to a creator that works with a you know one creator that's a writer and then that's an artist and they team up and then you still have a lot of team aspects like say some of the licensed comics where you might have a one pencil or one ink or one colorist one letter or one writer um, and so that's when um, they brought me into the turtles was that they had already hired Tom Walsh was already on staff and Tom had come up with what he wanted to do um, under the construction of a new turtle universe and the, under the IDW banner. Um, so he'd come up with a concept, which I thought was, was brilliant. And then they brought me into a consult on it, which then from that grew, um, you know, year to year as the series grew and continued in popularity. So Tom and I started working together more and more on, you know, you know, plots and directions and story arcs and different characters to bring in. But, um, Ultimately, Tom did all the, the the real heavy lifting where, you know, the guy, you know, should be um, commended for, I mean, he wrote a hundred, he wrote a hundred scripts, he wrote a hundred issues. And, and that's yeah. 
you know, that's 10, almost 11 years consistently. And the issues are great. And it, you know, it takes a village to do it, but um, he was the, the main head writer. Um, um, and we get to work with many, many different artists that help bring those stories to life. And, and the whole IDW village, if you will, to help bring that stuff to life is just a, a fantastic environment to work in. So great. Is, is it the passion? Creative people. The passion of each individual that makes the, the whole thing work? Like, is, is that like kind of like a key to making all this because having such a, a big team being able to deliver it as emotionally and intense from one one creative to another was that kind of the key that's what it sounds like um yeah it's no totally it's like um it's like um you could almost think of it as uh very similar to um um uh, a, a, a rock band or a band um to a or a sports team or a uh, thing that the the passion comes first. The, you know, you wanting to commit yourself and your life, and you know, follow that dream of that's what you want to do. Um, whether it's writing, playing soccer or football, or, or you know, a drummer in a band, to drawing comic books, um, passion comes first. And and when you come into that kind of environment where you understand the structures that you have to bring your A game, and you you know that includes the passion and your skills and your ideas and you work with, you know, other people, um, in that environment, um, to, to make it all, to make it all work. So it's, um, you know, um, it's okay to have an ego, but it's, you know, a, you know, but not that much of an ego because it, it, there's always give and take and you've got to be willing to work well with others for the best possible end result, which is, um, a good story, um, that, um, visually looks, um, as, as, spectacular as the team can make it and uh, you put your best foot forward and best effort and, and um, hope for the best. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's your barometer. That's how it's, that's, that's what you do, why you do. And that's why, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, like anything else you love, um, the hours are very long. Um, you gotta love it to want to do it. Definitely. Um, beautifully said. Um, one more question, because I know I know we're start. I'm starting it off, and you got a lot more after me. Um, on the concept of a rock band, yep. w- one of the uh, coolest uh, uh, B covers I think that came out of the last like after a hundred issues was um, that ACDC um, "Highway the Hell" uh, cover you did. Um, I think it was one seven. No, that can't be right. I, I'm I'm forgetting what number it was, but that was the coolest and like. When I was growing up, it was Turtles and ACDC. So for me, that was like, that's this is the coolest piece of art I've ever seen. Um, but uh, I love it. <laughs> what is your favorite song off Highway to Hell? All of them. Um, <laughs> no, it's one of the best best albums of all time. That was you know because I was in a you know we talked about this before. I know that I was in a you know, in, for 15 minutes in high school, I was in a band um, and I loved it. And it was, but it was it ended up being, you know, uh, I wasn't that good as an artist and I wasn't good as a bass player. So it was either you have to choose one and dedicate yourself to get better at one or the other. And um, I like drawing more. Um, but uh, <clears throat> um, no, the uh, um, um, things like that um, was just, I think it evolved out of a conversation. Um, I was having with another friend of mine um, 
about music. He's a musician and we're talking about this, that, and like that ACDC came up and I was like, Oh yeah. And I said, man, I always loved that, you know, Highway to Hell album cover around the time that, you know, the turtles were evolving in this, in this um, storyline that had um, uh, Sophie Campbell brought in a lot of these music elements. Like there was a band and there was some battle of the bands and that sort of one thing led to the next. And I said, I've got to do some, uh, and it was actually heading towards a hall period in um, uh, in the story. It was around Halloween, and I said, "Duh, it would be great if the guys dressed up like ACDC band members and sort of recreate that same basic pose um, uh, from the album cover." Um, and so that was that. That ends. Up, that's one of my favorites as well. I really love doing that. And there's another one that was um, a couple issues later that ended up the the that particular story arc cultivated in a, um, uh, in a battle of the bands where Bebop and Rocksteady come in and play. So having, you know, them on stage playing, I got, I think uh, Rocksteady's jumping in the air, holding the guitar and he's breaking a couple of the strings on it by accident as he's, you know, into it. He's playing it so hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's the fun stuff. And it's sort of great to, you know, step outside the, you know, you know, turtles, getting ready to fight or in the middle of a fight or some kind of real dramatic moment and really have fun with a cover like that. That's, um, that's, a, that's a real treat. That's I really awesome. enjoyed that. Um, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it. That was a, that was a, that was a lot of fun. It's the coolest. Um, but we didn't, we didn't really talk about you being a band. We talked about harmonica, but let's put a pin in that for, for hopefully a next one down the road. But, um, have you ever done an album cover for a band? Absolutely. I don't think so. Um, you know, and, and my only, my hesitation I was thinking was only because uh, I had just finished um, about two weeks ago. We've been I've been working with um, you, you. We might have talked about this before. I'm working with a company called Waxworks Records, and they released the original um, score soundtrack for Turtles right. Movie One. Turtles movie two, Secret of the Ooze, and they just did Turtles, um, Turtles in Time, which was uh, um, the third original Turtle movie. So I do the front cover, back cover, uh, the inside spread, and, and even design the little um, label, whether it be a pizza yeah. or a sewer cover that's actually in the middle of uh, the album. Um, so I've done, you know, those um, um, double album illustrations for the Turtle stuff, which has just been an absolute blast um, to do. Um, but I can't recall ever doing one specifically for a band, which would, uh, which would be fun, um, which would be fun to do. Cause I was, you know, a big, uh, big Richard Corbett fan. And I loved the, um, he did the cover, uh, bat for meatloaf's bat out of hell, which, yeah. was, which was great. one of my favorite album covers. Uh, was awesome. Well, that, that um, album cover so makes you pick up maybe. that album, you know? Like I feel like that album cover oh, yeah. sold that album. Like it's a great record; it holds up. But that cover is what brings you yep. to it. <laughs> totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, very cool. So, awesome. um, but yeah, so maybe that's. Uh, and now I have, I'm gonna have to go look and see if I've, I've. I don't think I have. I would have. You know, my memory isn't too bad yet. Um, <laughs> I would have remembered it, but. Uh, uh, but I'm, we have to go check the archives. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, uh, could be something to add to the bucket list for sure. Very cool, awesome, Kevin. Well, thank you so much for yeah. chatting with me. It was a great honor to be to be added again and and not hung up once once it, yeah. <laughs> once I called. 
So um, thank you so much. And, um, Not a problem. Congratulations with everything with The Last Ronin. Um, I'm very excited to read that last issue. And uh, thank you, man. Absolute pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, we'll do it again one day soon. Um, but yeah, had a great time talking to you. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, um, be, be, be safe out there. Thanks. Likewise. Cowabunga. <laughs> Cowabunga. <laughs> Cheers. Later.